2: to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your
1: hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose, the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard podcast, episode 37. I am Nick Sarasso.
2: And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera.
1: And I was a January 16th. We're halfway through the week with the NFC and AFC Conference Championships just a few days away. The Chiefs versus the Patriots—no surprise. Patriots always seem to be there. And on the flip side, it's the Saints versus the Rams. We're going to talk about those two big games uh, in just a moment. But I want to go back to last week, where we had, you know, we were down to the elite eight, and started off with the Colts and the Chiefs, and I was very disappointed in the Colts losing that one as well as we saw the Cowboys fall. It just wasn't my weekend. It continued on. Uh, certainly an off week. I felt like you uh, last week when we started in the wild card round, struggling to get many right. Uh, so let's talk about this, though. What was your biggest takeaway from those four teams that lost?
2: Well, my biggest takeaway was more of giving credit to the Patriots. You never count the Patriots out. I mean, I think a lot of people thought the Chargers were going to win this game automatically because the Chargers were the better team. They have better overall talent. They had a better offense. The Patriots' defense has really struggled going into this game. But, yet the Chargers didn't show up at all in this game. So I think the Patriots deserve a lot of credit. And one thing we learned is to never count out the Patriots, but also never count out home field advantage either. A lot of these teams won because they were at home. When – when Kansas City played against the Colts, it looked like the Colts didn't belong there in that cold weather. It looked like Kansas City had it down packed. You know, they looked comfortable out there, and even though it was snowing for a bit in the game, you know, Mahomes looked comfortable out there. They looked very comfortable in Arrowhead, playing on their home field. You flip it over to the NFC side, the Eagles were not beating the Saints inside the dome. There was, you know, like they, they they say there's no place like dome for no reason because the Saints really do take care of things at home. So if there's a couple things you could take care of, take away from this weekend is how important home field advantage was, and how all the teams that lost didn't have it this week.
1: Yeah, one of the keys, uh stats that I've learned is since the 49ers-Ravens Super Bowl, and I think that's 2011, that's the last time a team is needed to win a road playoff game to get to the Super Bowl. So that, that clearly means ones and two seeds are getting into the Super Bowl far more often because if the one seed can get the home field and win that first game, they're getting into the Super Bowl usually. And even if the two seed, the one seed gets knocked out, the two seed has the home field after that, they usually get in. So it's been home field getting you in and not having to play on the road. And we saw exactly that this weekend. Home teams went 4-0 and compared to the week prior when they went 1-3. We home crowd is so important for this. The fans make it so key, especially on offensive plays, just teams aren't able to get it together. But that almost seems like it's going to be the flip side in this week because we are expecting a lot of snow. It doesn't really matter where you are. There's supposed to be this Arctic uh, windstorm. It's going to be crazy cold is what I'm hearing in Kansas City, think like the highs of like 9 or 10, and then the wind chill could bring it all the way to like negative 11. I mean, this gives a huge advantage to one team in particular, in my mind, the New England Patriots, because how often have we seen them play in cold weather situations? New England, for example. So, if you're the Patriots, you did not have a lot of the advantages going into this game, but that weather is going to be a key advantage.
2: For sure. I mean, Again, you saw it during this past weekend. The Colts, you know, they they're primarily an indoor team. They didn't look comfortable out there on the field in Kansas City. Um, and and, and it, I know that stuff sounds silly, right? Where it's like, oh, that doesn't matter. You know, their weather elements. You got you have to take that things into effect. It's the reason why the Patriots fought so hard for home field advantage. You know, as much as they could, they knew they were going to be able to catch the Chiefs for overall, right? So they made sure that they catch the second seed that way they can at least have last week's playoff game in their back pocket. Home games are really important in the playoffs. And if you're a team that especially plays well at home, like Kansas City, like New England, like New Orleans, you need that in your back pocket.
1: Yeah, uh, certainly so. Uh, the Dome is going to be a little bit different. I, the Saints had played the Rams earlier in the season. So the Chiefs have played the Patriots early, earlier in the season. So these four teams clearly know each other, especially in the matchups they're going against. Uh for you, what's one of the biggest takeaways? We'll start with the AFC game. Uh, what's your biggest takeaway going into that?
2: Going into which one? The AFC between the P- the Pats and the Chiefs.
1: And that's the AFC team.
2: <laughs> I'm just making sure, man. You know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of tough matchups this weekend. They're hard to keep track of sometimes. My biggest takeaway going into this one is again, you don't doubt the Patriots. So many people had the Patriots losing to the Chargers, right? And every year, and it's funny, because after the game, Tom Brady said, you know, a lot of people don't think we can win games. And that's true, Nick. I mean, how many times do we come into these matchups and we say, oh, well, you know what? The offense doesn't seem to be clicking. Oh, man, you know, Gronkowski's not playing very well. Edelman hasn't looked good. This Patriots defense, I don't know. They don't look that strong. But time and time again, what happens? The defense steps up. Tom Tom Brady throws for over 200 yards. You know, he throws three touchdowns. You know, the thing is, you don't doubt... You don't doubt Belichick and Brady when it comes to the playoffs because what they do in the regular season is whatever. It, honestly, it doesn't even matter because you know they're going to win the AFC East. And it matters about what they do come playoff time. And every week, every year, we always say this. Oh, the Patriots shouldn't be there. Should we be worried about the Patriots? Is this the dynasty over? And it's not because the Patriots come out of nowhere and end up going to the Super Bowl, as we say by surprise, but it really isn't by surprise. When you have the best coach in the NFL and you have the best quarterback in the NFL, and finally, the thing that I find most impressive for the Patriots this time around and in years past is they have a running game with Sonny Michel. This is the first time in a while that the Patriots have really had a consistent running back. Now, in years past, they've had one or two running backs that have been really great. Sonny Michel is a great running back on his own in every down back. So now that the Patriots have that added weapon, to me it just makes them a lot stronger going into the game where honestly, probably a lot of people have them to lose again.
1: So here's a big concern for me about the Patriots, and I want your takeaway on this one. I think it's great for the Patriots that the weather is going to be bad. I think that favors them entirely when you consider how how explosive the Chiefs' offense is, how fast Tyreek Hill is, how much of a difference maker Travis Kelsey can be. This team operates on speed. And one of the things I loved when I was younger and playing in football, uh, playing some football was the snow. Because I wasn't the quickest of feet, and I was able to catch a lot of my friends who were much faster than me because we're both running in the snow. It's not going to make a difference in speed. And at that point, the bigger guy is going to be able to make the tackle, or it's going to be a lot easier to keep up with other players. That's a huge advantage for the Patriots when you have to try and chase one of the fastest or the fastest player in the NFL in Tyreek Hill. If there's snow on the ground, if there's bad weather, the noise factor. Kansas City, we always talk about like home field. Well, the fans are a big key. Play in Seattle, play in Kansas City, play in the Dome. It's, when you're watching those two games, I guarantee you the Dome is going to be much louder in New Orleans than in Kansas City because it's going to be freezing. Who wants to be screaming their lungs out when they're really just freezing in their seats? So I think it's a little bit more of a quiet game. As much as the fans are going to be involved, as much as they're going to want to be cheering, there's going to be a point where it's like, (laughs) "Eh, I'm just going to sit down here.
2: Well, it's funny that you say that, Nick, because the Chiefs are 60 minutes away from going to the Super Bowl. If you think... (laughs) If you think the fans are not going to be as loud as hell when they're 60 minutes away from a Super Bowl, I think you're lying to yourself, my friend.
1: I, I do think
2: that. Now, I understand what you're saying. Uh, they might be too cold to cheer or whatever, but I think that's I, I, one of those things where I don't think it's going to happen. Again, when you are if this was the you know last week's game, I could totally understand that. But when you're 60 minutes away from the Super Bowl, that'll be enough adrenaline to get you through a game.
1: Even on top of that, though, here's one of my biggest concerns for the Patriots. And you just said it also. Playoffs are a lot different from the regular season. But you still have to, I feel, take in count for the regular season. The Patriots went 3-5 and five on the road. They were not a good road team. They lost to a lot of teams on the road. And not many of them were good teams. And a lot of their wins, I think it's Buffalo and the Jets are two of their three road wins. So it's not like I'm naming teams that should impress you like crazy. There are one other road ridden, I think is the Chicago Bears. Should there be a lot of concern for you that Tom Brady is not home and that the Patriots are traveling for a road game considering how much they have struggled this season on the road?
2: I am slightly concerned, especially when you factor in how well the Chiefs have played at home, right? Um, you know, if this was an, against an average home team, I could say, well, you know what, it's going to be a flip of a coin. But honestly, it's not. The Chiefs have played really well at home. Patrick Mahomes has been very comfortable at home. But the thing is, you mentioned about a couple things. I don't worry about Tom Brady. To me, Tom Brady's not the issue when it comes to the Patriots. I worry about some of these other guys on the team, like the younger players that they have on defense. Will this get to them? But honestly, when it's all said and done, when it comes to the Patriots, and I know this sounds foolish, but I throw those regular season stats out the window because what they're trying to do is they're just trying to make it into the postseason. They don't care if it's on the road or at home or where they do their damage. As long as they have whole field advantage, they don't care about what they do on the road. And honestly, because their record was so dominant at home, they didn't need to win as many road games to clinch the record to get to home field advantage. I think if they were in a tougher race or if it was more of a divisional battle, you might see the Patriots try a little harder and win more games on the road. But because they didn't need to, so to speak, I think the Patriots would be just fine. And I also think the bad weather kind of cancels that out. This might not be a road game for New England. This might just feel like a regular game back at Foxborough.
1: No, I wouldn't go that far. I, I mean, think you, gotta, mean, you never know. You've got a better chance to say in like, some different places, it, there's more of a, road, a, a home feel to a road game. But it, like you said, Kansas City... They should be a little bit louder than you think. It might be a quieter game than most Kansas City games that are played in Kansas City because I don't think the fans will be as loud. But I wouldn't call this a home game compared to what New England is usually like and compared to how much success we see the Patriots have at home compared to the road. I think that's automatically a little bit of a difference maker. Which player do you think needs to have the big game in order for their team to win? One, one from each, we'll go with.
2: For, so for the Patriots, it's going to be Sony Michel. Um, like I said before, I think it's been a really, really long time since the Patriots have had a dynamic running back like this one. I know when they won the Super Bowl, they had you know, Blount and they had Lewis. Um, but to me, Sony Michel is an every down back. The guy they can get the ball to repeatedly and have continued success with. So, a lot of honesty, I feel like when Brady is at his most dangerous, it's because he has a running back behind him to help back him up as well, too. That way, he's not one-dimensional. That way, he's not always passing the ball. That way, it's a good balance between passing and the run game for the Patriots. Again, when they won the Super Bowl last time, they had Blount and they had Lewis. You know, other years that they've won the Super Bowl, they've had a good running game as well, too. It's not just always Brady. When Brady has to put it on his shoulders alone, yes, he brings them close, or yes, he brings them within it, but... He also falls short a little bit at the time, too, especially when he's facing good defenses like my Giants twice when they face him. Sorry, I had to plug it in there somewhere. But for the Patriots, again, so the guy, so to speak, that has to have a big game or, so to speak, the X factor is going to be Sony Michel. If he has a huge game, it relaxes Brady. It takes pressure off Brady. And a relaxed Tom Brady is not a Tom Brady I want to face. So Sony Michel for the Patriots. For the Kansas City Chiefs, to me, it's Travis Kelsey. Mahomes is going to do his thing. I'm actually fully confident in this kid. Even though he's a young QB, going into his first AFC Championship game, I'm pretty confident in him. My worry, though, is that they're going to double-team or double-coverage Tyreek Hill a lot throughout the game because, honestly, Mahomes' main weapon is Tyreek Hill. So what does Travis Kelsey do in this game? To me, he has to be the guy that has to get open. So that way, when they can't get to Tyreek Hill... They have to get to Kelsey. And if Travis Kelsey has a bad game, then I have a bad feeling that the Chiefs are going to have a bad game too.
1: Well, I'm also taking Travis Kelsey, especially when you look at the game against the Colts. Kelsey had a ton more yards early on in that game. And Mahomes was constantly targeting Kelsey in those bid-down conversions. If it was second and long, he was going to Kelsey. If it was third down, he was going to Kelsey. And I think the same game plan could be in store against the Patriots. Why? It, it's tough to match up on those big tight ends. Zach Ertz has had a very strong game against Saint. We see, even though Rob Gronkowski has fallen off from what Gronk used to be, How many times have we always talked about when Dronk was healthy, him being the difference maker when it came to the New England Patriots offense more than anybody else on the field? Travis Kelsey is the same way. He's the best tight end in the league. I I completely agree with you on that one. On the flip, I'm going to take the other running back, James White. Look, this guy helped win New England a Super Bowl as much as we want to give it to Tom Brady, as much... Uh, the amount of yards, the amount of catches he put up in the Super Bowl, and then you go into last week, 15 total catches he had. I did not know the yards don't really provide up much, but 97 yards is still 97 yards of the team, and it's always a lot of dump passes. Brady's not going for the throw-it-down-40-yards type play like Mahomes right. Brady's doing those six-yard dump passes, those three-yard dump passes, letting his guys run with the football. This is that type of game. This is a game that if the weather holds to what the weather should be, and I truly expect it to be freezing, I truly expect it to be windy, snowy, terrible out, no one's trying to throw passes 20, 30 yards consistently. People are going to try and throw those small dink passes. What better guy than James White who has consistently... Done that in his career with the New England Patriots. I think that's a big factor to the game. It's not going to be can you stop him from catching the football, it's going to be can you contain him to just tackling him immediately after he catches the football and not get those yards after the catch. Because if that can happen, it's going to be a long game for the Chiefs of playing catch up because of how many first downs, how much clock management how much game control the Patriots are going to have over the Chiefs and keeping Mahomes off the field because they're able to always check it down to James White. With that, in the AFC game, who do you have going to the Super Bowl? Jose, oh, you there? Do you hear me? Yep, I hear you there. Sorry about that. Not always. Um,
2: um. So what I was saying was one of my biggest themes about my rant so far is don't doubt the Patriots I love Patrick Mahomes. Don't get me wrong. I think he's gonna be the MVP of the league most likely He's a young quarterback. You know, I think one day we're gonna get to that point where remember that crazy stat how The past couple of Super Bowls the AFC is represented by Peyton Roethlisberger or or Brady. I think one day you're gonna see Mahomes' face in there This Sunday is not the day I think the Patriots are going to go into Kansas City. I think the Patriots are going to win. Um, I think the Chiefs choke yet again. Um, I think Sony Michel has a big game. And again, when the Patriots have a good running game along with Tom Brady, it allows Tom Brady to be his excellent self and go out there pressure-free and not just solely rely on the passing game. The Patriots are very, very dangerous when they have a good running game. And that's what they have in Sonny Michel. And you can't deny that the defense has somewhat of an ability to shut that high power offense. Take uh, San Diego Chargers, there we go again, Nick. Los Angeles Chargers are a high powered offense, and guess what? The Patriots shut them up. You cannot deny that. You mean you can blame? Uh, I was going to say San Diego again. You can blame Los Angeles all they want for that game for not showing up. But you gotta take cap to the Patriots defense. They played really well. And if Belichick is gonna go out there and motivate this team and say, hey, we're one win away from a Super Bowl, I think it's foolish not to think that these guys are gonna go out there and do it again. So give me the Patriots over the Chiefs. Nothing against the Chiefs personally. I love Patrick Mahomes. I just don't I just don't think they're quite ready yet to take down a franchise like New England.
1: You know, Green with you has not worked well in either one of our decisions. But <laughs> I do agree with you. At the end of the day, you take the veteran quarterback. At the end of the day, you take the one that's been experienced and has played. It, what was incredible is he has a higher percentage of getting to the AFC championship game in his career than uh, there were stats of like LeBron James and Luka Donovic hitting a foul shot. He has a higher percentage of finishing the season getting to the AFC championship as Tom Brady. And there was so many different ones on this list. Because it's Brady's percentage is like 76% of the, uh, of each season he gets to the AFC Conference Championship. That's mind-boggling insane. I'm still going to take the Patriots. Bad weather, I'm going to jump on that game. I'm giving it to the advantage. It's going to be a great coaching game, I feel. Andy Reid versus Bill Belichick. I agree. Mahomes is the future. There's going to come a time where it's not going to be, uh, it, where Joe Flacco will not be the only quarterback to make it out of those three between Rod or Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady. But every reason says take the Patriots. How many times are they an underdog in the playoffs? How many times should we be viewing them as an underdog in the playoffs? Towards the end of the game, if this game is close, and a lot of times, weather games like this result in close games, you take the quarterback that's been there time and time and time again, and that's Tom Brady. The only thing I don't like about this game is that he is on the road, and the Patriots are the road team, but... It is so hard to willingly want to say to go against Tom Brady, to go against Bill Belichick, because all we've watched them do is succeed time and time again. I have the Patriots going to the Super Bowl. I think they win outright, and I also really like them, the fact that they're getting three points in Kansas City to begin with. Anytime the Patriots are an underdog, that should be an easy time to take the Patriots. So I'm I'm on to the Patriots as well with you going to the Super Bowl yet again as the greatest of all time to ever play in the NFL, I have getting to the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, I guess
2: congrats Kansas City then, huh? <laughs> Is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> Pretty much. I You know, in a way, we I don't know if we've won a game that we've agreed on in the postseason yet. So we'll see how this one goes. Uh, Rams-Saints. You know, both teams played extremely well. Before I'm going into the Rand States, I do want to talk about this one topic uh, that was brought up to me. The NFC East. And A friend of mine brought it up saying it's go, it's one of the best divisions in the NFL. When you consider that the Eagles are there and they've won the Super Bowl and both the Cowboys and the Eagles are a win away each from playing each other in the conference championship game. But The NFC East also contains the Giants, the Redskins, and not as uh, well-functioning teams, even though the Redskins were doing well uh, pre-Alex Smith injury. Where do you rank the NFC? Because when you're looking at this as two teams that were so close to getting to at least the NFC Conference Championship team, where do you rank the NFC?
2: You mean the NFC East or just the NFC in general? The NFC East. The NFC East? Honestly... You know, that, that's a very tough question because the NFC in general is very tough. I mean, you look at the NFC West, right? You have the Rams, the Seahawks. If Garoppolo is healthy, the 49ers are in the mix, right? Can we can we agree on that? Yeah. So those three teams and the Cardinals are a little bit are probably going to head for like a rebuild mode. So three teams in the NFC West In the NFC North, you know, the Bears are, are finally good again. The Packers still have Aaron Rodgers, the Lions still have Stafford, and, and the Vikings—you know—I still have Kirk Cousins in a dynamic offense over there too. Even though I think Cousins is uh, is overrated, you know the NFC South again. You have three teams as well too. So I'm gonna—I'm not gonna say the NFC East is the toughest. I get the, what the point is you're trying to make, where you have two dynamic young quarterbacks in Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott. The Eagles and Cowboys are definitely up there in competition, but. Every other division in the NFC has about three teams I could see competing in the long term every single year. Right now, I just can't say that about the Redskins because they fall out of it every year halfway through. And I don't know where the Giants are going directional-wise with quarterback to feel confident to say that the NFC East is really where it should be. If I had to pick a division on what to pick, I would probably say the NFC North because I really like what's going on over there between the Bears, the Vikings, and the Packers. And and then, of course, you have the Lions, too, as a wild card, in my opinion— that division has a lot of potential to be a lot of firepower, and if the Cardinals can get some quick fixes here and there, the NFC West might be also um, a firepower division as well too. So the NFC East very hard in general. NFC East, I don't know because to me there's only two dynamic teams in there right now.
1: Yeah, um, I shot this question down immediately from him. I said. It I think doesn't...
2: it used to be. I think a couple of years ago, me and you were saying, man, the Giants have it tough.
1: It always seems like this division, though. It's hard to say that the NFC East is this fantastic division when eight and eight and nine and seven get you to the playoffs. Now I understand the concept of the flip side being well, wouldn't that by far make it a really tough division? Because if you you can't get the ten wins, or if you get the ten wins, you're guaranteed to get into the playoffs because of how tight this division is. No, that doesn't mean the division's good at the end of the day. That, that just means these teams, nobody can separate each other. One of the things about uh, the NFC East that's been a standpoint for the last couple of years and why I liked the Cowboys to win the division la- uh, going into this year was because it had been seven or eight years. I think the Giants were the last team to do it. Was to win the division two seasons in a row. Uh, Most divisions are not like that. Take the AFC North and the AFC East. Obviously the Patriots and the Steelers have been running away with that division for years on end. And yes, there are tougher teams in the AFC North as a good example. But that doesn't stop the Steelers from running through at times. The NFC East... They have two decent, pretty good teams. Obviously, we don't really truly know what the Eagles are at times because Carlson Wentz can't stay healthy. That will be a big question going into next season. Uh, the Cowboys played very well in that second half. They were one of the hottest teams, but as far as I'm not touching the Giants as a decent team, I think what they've combined for seven or eight wins, not even over the last couple of years. And the Redskins, What if they had, chosen to play with Colin Kaepernick and given them the chance to try and compete at the end of the season for a playoff spot, we wouldn't even be talking about these teams because the Redskins probably would have won a couple more games and got into the playoffs as the division winner. Or if they did uh, have Alex Smith this entire time, we're not talking about the Eagles. We're not talking about the Cowboys because I don't know if either one of those teams make the playoffs at that point. I, I don't have this division ranked any higher than any NFC team, and I think the only division I had it above was the AFC East. I think the AFC East right now is still the weakest link. Obviously, there's the Patriots, but there's so many questions with all the other three teams that are in that division, but there's no other division I have that's worse than the NFC East at the end of the day. So two teams that almost made it to the NFC Championship doesn't change my mind at all where I rank the East. I still rank it as the bottom uh, bottom division at the end of the day. Yeah, a little bit harsher, especially on the Giants.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. All right, going into the Saints and the Rams, what what was your big takeaway from the two games that you saw these guys went from? So wh- what did you look at from the Rams that you saw that you go into this week really liking the Rams about, and what do you like about the Saints that you saw from last week as well?
2: Well, if you remember the last podcast we recorded, one of my biggest criticisms of the Rams was Jared Goff, right? Is he a big game quarterback? I really feel like Jared Goff did a really great job of taking control of the game when he needed to in in the last game against the Cowboys. And I feel like he really did show me something. And I can go into this week a lot more confident in him saying that he belongs in the NFC Championship game and that he also, you know, belongs in the big moment. And I don't have to worry about him, you know, being a, a non non-big-game QB, right? If the Rams are going to lose, it's going to be because of a different reason that's not about Jared Goff. But what was really impressive to me was, though, was that, you know, C.J. Anderson, in the year that he's had, I know he's your personal favorite. I know you always have something bad to say about him, Nick, um, numerous times. But the guy stepped up. And I think the most important thing about the Rams is that, you know, we talk about Todd Gurley, we talk about Jared Goff. My biggest takeaway, though, for the Rams is that, it's not just those guys. I mean, this team is a lot of different guys stepping up in a lot of different places. And I think you lose sight of that because the Rams have a lot of big names on their team, like Aaron Donald and and Todd Gurley, Jared Goff. But there's so many other guys that keep this game, you know, that keeps this team moving forward. Sean McVay, you know, it's only his second year as a, as a head coach, but... Um, but honestly, I mean, he has his team trending in the right direction. And in a couple of years, if he keeps going on this path and he wins a couple Super Bowls, I mean, he might go down as one of the best coaches ever, in my opinion, uh, rather quickly if he can rack up a couple of wins here. But he's def- definitely already one of the top coaches in the game right now. And he's only in his second year, in my opinion. But this team is just so stacked. Everybody knows their role. They check their ego at the door. You know, when you have this many big names on one team, it can get very complicated to manage those egos. But they're not. They just want to go out there and win. So my biggest takeaway is that it's not just the big names doing the work. It's a lot of, you know, team playing by the Rams getting the job done. For the Saints, you know, something that you said last week, how they should only go with one running back because of their receivers. Michael Thomas had another fantastic game, in my opinion. And I think the defense for the Saints really stepped up, too, in this game against the Eagles, too. So... You know, for the Saints, it's a lot of stuff that was all over the place. That game got pretty wild towards the end. You can argue that if Jeffrey catches that pass, maybe the Saints don't win that game. But should have, could have, would have. I do think the Saints' defense stepped up, and I agree with you. I think after watching that game, I would go with only one running back as opposed to two because you saw what it could do when, when the ball is in Michael Thomas' hands.
1: Yeah, my, my big takeaway from the Rams-Cowboys was how much they contained Elliot. And if there's one thing to look at for if you're going to try and stop the Saints, you're going to have to try really hard stopping Kamar. I don't really view Ingram as important. 20-11 to 11 were the two players when you consider their uh, possessions between Kamar and Ingram. But Kamar by far had the better yards. It had the more impressive plays. And I think at the end of the day if the Saints are going to go with this two-to-one split, I, I don't know if that's going to be what gets you the win. Yeah, it's never giving the hot hand a chance, and I still think that's a big issue uh, for me especially, but when you contain Elliott, uh, 20 rushes for 47 yards only, and he did have a touchdown, but overall when the Cowboys are ground and pound system and you mentioned Aaron Donald, that's how you play well. And the Saints are, as much as they have Drew Brees, they've always seemed to be, the last year or so, more of a run team. And and obviously, Drew Brees can always pass it I don't doubt him for a moment uh, to throw the ball. But if you can eliminate the run, if you can force Drew Brees to have to try and convert on these third and longs, third and sevens, third and nines, fantastic future Hall of Famer, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But... That's not easy to do at the end of the day. It's not going to be easy to consistently convert 3rd and longs against one of the better defenses in the NFL, especially against one of the best pass rush defenses that aren't going to give you a lot of time to throw. And that's going to be a key factor. So my big takeaway from the Rams one was their defense uh, from the Saints. They were down 14 nothing. They looked terrible to begin this opening first hour the. The game, first quarter of the game. Uh, but they turned it on. And, you know, there are field goals for making it a nine-point game, and then the Eagles are never really driving at the end of this football game. Uh, most people are saying the Eagles are, you know, a tip pass away from trying to win or being on that winning possession. It should have never gotten that way. The uh, Saints should have clearly hit the field goal to give them that nine-point lead and that cushion to win the football game. But... There wasn't really much of a concern, and I think that's what's really important. Uh, how relaxed I feel like the Saints were. There, there was never a concern. There was never a worry of getting past the Saints, and maybe that had to deal with uh, getting past the Eagles, and maybe that had to deal with Nick Foles being the quarterback at the end of the day. But the Eagles, you know, they they probably be a better team, I think, after this season when you consider how much healthier they'll be when they won't have their injuries, when they won't be using a fourth running back. Uh, they're going to need those players, but there's no real concern. There's no concern on veteran of Sean Payton. There's no concern on Drew Brees. There's no concern with the Saints because of the leadership they have on this team. And I think that's a big key. We're talking about the same type of story in both the AFC and NFC. Veteran coach, veteran quarterback, much younger QB. Those can be the difference makers in this big game. When a simple mistake or, or conversion or a certain play or trying to do too much can become the bid downfall of your team for that game. Forger agrees, though. Now, this is a guy... You know, has passed Peyton Manning on pretty much every record, and if not yet, he will, type of player. But he does only have one Super Bowl ring. If he gets the second ring, does Drew Brees become, in your eyes, one of the top five quarterbacks of all time?
2: Yeah, honestly, I think you can make a case for him now. But unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, because I do think it's important, but to me, winning Super Bowls is a part of it, right? Because that's the ultimate goal. Everybody's in the league to win a ring. Everybody wants to win a championship. If you ain't here to win a championship, you're playing for the wrong reasons, in my opinion. To clear something the greatest, you got to be able to win those championships. And I do think you can make an argument for him now, definitely be top five. But if he wins a second Super Bowl ring, I think he's definitely in the conversation. I think he is in the top five. So, and you know me, I hold championships very high as a standard. But I right now with only one ring, I can make a case for Drew Brees right now. You give him a second ring, he's in my top five.
1: I I think when you look at Drew Brees as far as the players go or quarterbacks go that only have one Super Bowl ring or or none at that uh, debate. He's the best. That's the way I look at Drew Brees. So of all, all the quarterbacks that have only one Super Bowl reign or no Super Bowl reigns, Drew Brees is the greatest of that group. I think Drew Brees is, at that point, where we, we try and debate where to put him. Where it's like uh, Brady, Montana, Peyton Manning, uh, it, it, does Drew Brees hit the top five, or does he just fall off the top five? But that second ring can be the difference maker when you consider all the regular season stats he has with it, and and a guy that's never won an MVP, amazingly, I don't know how that's possible. When you consider the years that he's had, uh, it almost reminds you of like the Colorado Rockies, where it's like, oh, it's it's because they play in this field. Oh, the Saints are just you know the best offense every single year with the most points and. Just a quarterback that just rose for over 5,000 yards, like it's something that he can do with ease when, you know, barely any quarterback has ever done it in his career, and he's done it, you know, a few times. I, I, if I had to rank it, I think easily, if he wins the Super Bowl, he's got to be in the top five. Whether he's four or he's five. I think he's right now on the outside of that. He's more of like a 6th or 7th rank for me. But if he wins that 7th Super Bowl, I, I can't see a reason why not to put him in my top 5. Because of how well he's done in the regular season in his career. And he just needs that 1 extra 1. Especially if, he, especially if you're talking about if he's playing Tom Brady. Because now he's down in rings over Payne Manning and Tom Brady. And I think that could even speak higher into his career. Or if he gets his reign over Patrick Mahomes, and Mahomes looks like the next big thing, we could be talking about that for a very long time, that all of a sudden Drew Brees has beaten Peyton Manning and one of the Nets' great best quarterbacks in Patrick Mahomes. So I think either one that he beats, I think that beating that quarterback is another big uh Moment that matters. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree that if he wins his second quarter, uh, second Super Bowl, he clearly deserves to be in the top five of all time of quarterbacks. All right. Which player are you looking at for the Rams to be the difference maker?
2: My difference maker for the Rams game, I'm going to go with him again. It's going to be Jared Goff. Um, you know, you're facing a really, really impressive Saints defense. Um, that has some good corners. You know, Marshawn Lattimore is a ball hawk, um, and I think he's a guy that really looks to chase down the football. Um, you know, Todd Gurley's going to try and do his thing. So my question is, can the Saints' defense lock down Jared Goff? Which makes Jared Goff all of a sudden the X factor and the guy to watch because how does he respond to the Saints' defense that is basically trying to pick the ball out of his hands in case they can't stop Todd Gurley? If they can't stop Todd Gurley, they're going to be really aggressive when Jared Goff passes the ball around. And also, if you're the Saints if Jared Goff is flowing then that's a problem right because when the when the rams are going offensively on the run game and the passing game they're really really hard to stop so if you're the saints you got to stop Jared Goff which to me makes Jared Goff the guy to watch for the saints if you're oh, i'm sorry the guy to watch for the rams if you're the saints it's all on Michael Thomas like i said before when this guy gets the ball in his hand he is a game changing wide receiver Um, It's very easy to hand the ball off to Kamara. It's very easy to to hand the ball off to Ingram. But Drew Brees is also a terrific passing quarterback. Let's not forget that. I don't think you and I forget that. But I feel like a lot of people forget, since the Saints have such a good running game, that the Saints may not want to pass the ball around. But don't be afraid to pick at these corners for the Rams. Now, remember a couple weeks ago, there was some back and forth about how um, Sean Payton said that they got the matchups that they liked— and Akil Tlaib didn't take too kind to those words, right? Saying that they would see them again. Well, guess what? They're in the NFC Championship game again. But if I'm the Saints, I'm not afraid to keep picking at guys like Akil Tlaib because i rather pass to these guys than watch my guys Kamara and Ingram get swallowed up by the defensive line for the Rams. I don't want to see them get wrapped up in Aaron Donald. i rather take my chance in the passing game. So how effective Michael Thomas can be is a big thing for the Saints.
1: For me, I'm going to go Kamara uh, because I think I've been talking about it for so many weeks now. Uh, the difference being you can't do this two-to-one snap count. Uh, you have to play Kamar more than you have to play Mark Ingram. Uh, that, to me, is the difference. I, I know you were going on the opposite approach, but I'm going to take it a f- step further. Obviously, Drew Brees is going to target Michael Thomas, and I think Michael Thomas is going to have a big game. Uh, Because in order for the Saints to win this football game, Michael Thomas needs to put up yards. He needs to convert on the third down. But to get those third and shorts and to get those first downs a lot of times, I really think... You know, this is a game where Tamar is going to get a lot of targets, and I'm not expecting just four targets, four receptions. I'm expecting a big game where he's getting close to like nine targets in this game, and he's going to have like seven receptions. So I think besides just running the football, I think this is going to be a game where Drew Brees targets Kamara consistently. Because of this pass rush, I think it's going to limit Drew Brees from going to downfield often. And it's going to result in him trying to go for the short passes and letting Kamar break it out and getting a lot of yards after the catch. So I really think this is one where we could see a lot of dump-off passes even though we're in a dome compared to how we're seeing it in cold weather in Kansas City. I think that could be the better route for the Saints Again, yeah, I love controlling the clock, and I always think the dump passes that are going to make it shorter are always great ways to do it. But this is a guy that can easily break out and get a huge gain of thirty or forty yards by just giving him the football. And I think when you can put that into more than my more than Mark drum I, I cannot stand that they use Mark Ingram as much as they do. I don't get it. Uh, that That is easily one of the things Sean Payton upsets me the most that he does. Uh, there's a lot of things I like about Sean Payton, but the fact that he uses Mark Ingram just irritates me way too much than it should. Uh, for the Rams, you know, I'm taking Todd Durley. I'm going to go running bats on this one. Uh, screw CJ. Anderson. <laughs> Todd Durley is... Your best a man life.
2: runs for over 100 yards and screw C.J. Anderson. Screw
1: C.J. Anderson. It's it's the Todd Gurley theme park. You want to win, it's going to be Todd Gurley. You're, this is an offense built on a run. Yes, they have so many weapons at, at wide receivers. Not to take anything away from Jared Dolph. Sean McVay is a genius on offense. No, this is all Todd Gurley. This is going to be his game. He's going to have to be. He's going to have to outplay CJ Anderson, obviously. And I think there are, there were some health questions going into last week. I, but there shouldn't be an issue. He looked great against the Cowboys and Cowboys defense that I really like. I think he should have even a better game against the Saints defense that is good, but I don't think it's as good as the Cowboys. This is going to be a great game for Gurley to just continuously pound the ball, and it's going to keep Drew Brees off the field. I look at that as a big difference. Okay, in this game, though, who do you have winning it between the two teams?
2: Well, I think it's going to be a very, very high-scoring game, um, to say the least. Again, this is a matchup that's going to be very, very exciting to watch because... You know, it's a little bit of back and forth between Akita Tlaib and uh, Sean Payton last time. We also saw the drama that unfolded between these two teams. However, I'm going to go again with the more experienced team and a more experienced quarterback. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's the New Orleans Saints. I mean, the Rams are a dynamic team. They can run the ball. They can pass the ball. But guess what? So can the Saints. And again, I'm going to go with experience. Drew Brees, to me, is one of the top five QBs in the league right now. He's one of the top five QBs ever. In my opinion, I think the Saints are going to be too much to handle for the Rams at times, and again, I think when you have two quality running backs, and I do hate Martin Ingram too for some reason, but when you have two quality running backs like Kamara and Ingram, it's very hard to prepare for the Rams.
1: Uh, this is one where it's like, how many times are, is anybody willingly taking the road team in New Orleans? Uh, That is the biggest question for me. uh, We talked about it like... This is New Orleans. The Saints just play phenomenal in the dome. There's never a concern. The Rams are going to be a true road team in this game. The Saints have already beaten them. We always talked about... and, And I mentioned earlier... We haven't seen a team need to get to... That's gone to the Super Bowl over the last few years. Need to win a road playoff team. The Saints are a perfect definition of that. I don't think they're going. I don't think a road team is coming out of the NFC with a win. This is going to be the Saints' game. I think offensively, you're going to see a much better game. They just had to play a very tough team in the Eagles that play phenomenal defense and kept themselves in this game at all times. Obviously, if that Saints team shows up, the Rams should be able to win this football game. But I think we're going to see more from Drew Brees. I think we're going to see a lot more passing. I think Kamara is going to be further involved. And I really like the Saints to win this game because of home field. At the end of the day, give me the dome every single time. And I'm going to pit the Saints to win every single time. And it's basically proved me wrong. Because that's all you gotta do in that scenario, and you're gonna to have to prove pretty much everybody wrong. Because how many people are willingly going to take the Rams, a road team, into New Orleans? I just don't see that happening. I'm taking the Saints at the end of it. So we have the same two teams going into the Super Bowl. So I mean, it's about the opposite at that point, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're looking to bet this weekend, bet against Rosso and the Beard. It always seems to work. <laughs>
1: Somehow I do decent.
2: Although, I will say, the two teams that I have going to the Super Bowl are the two teams that I predicted would win last week, and they did win. So although I've gotten everything wrong so far, the teams that I knew were going to be in the Super Bowl, in my opinion, I've been saving this prediction for a while. I said Saints and Pats a while ago before we did this whole podcast thing. So technically, I've been right so far. Just yeah, you've,
1: been, you've been running with them for a while. Yeah. Staying with one of our... Last football topics: the New York Jets have found their head coach in Adam Gase. You might remember him, the former Miami Dolphins head coach. And I think it was more the press conference that took. If you haven't seen the video of this, this is truly, I think, fantastic. You You
2: said, Nick, formerly known as the Dolphins QB coach, but I know him as the new meme that's out there.
1: Yeah, the the eyes, the staring. The, uh, there was someone with a tattoo I've never even heard of, but it was very entertaining to watch. Uh, but uh, let's talk about this. Should the Jets be, Jet fans be happy or upset with the signing?
2: Well, first of all, I want to talk about how come Nicolas Cage is going to get a role in a movie to play Adam Gase, right? Because with those eyes, they almost look very, very identical. But in all seriousness, though... If you're Jets fans, you should be happy, but I understand why you're not. When someone like, when someone like Mike McCarthy, excuse me, Nick, when someone like Mike McCarthy wants to coach the Jets, right? He literally said, "I only want to interview for the Jets job." That should be a no-brainer to go out and get that guy, right? Someone who is able to coexist with Aaron Rodgers, somebody who managed a good QB, somebody who's won a Super Bowl. That's what you want to see, right? You want to see a Super Bowl-winning coach come through the door because then that sets expectations for the rest of the team. When you bring in a guy like Adam Gase, the Dolphins hasn't exactly been that successful over the past couple of years. So I understand the frustration. But also, you have to look closely at Adam Gase's resume. He was with Peyton Manning in Denver. And Peyton Manning speaks very, very highly of Adam Gase as a QB coach. And apparently, Peyton Manning put in a good word to the Jets about Adam Gase. So what I'm saying is, if you're a Jets fan give it a chance, this guy has a good reputation of good QBs, and Ryan Tannehill isn't the worst QB in the world, so there's proof there that it does work somewhat, but I understand the frustration of not going with Mike McCarthy when he wanted to be with the Jets.
1: I mean, you mentioned Peyton Manning. A couple years ago, Adam Deese was the number one head coach to get. And he did very well when Ryan Tannehill was his starting quarterback. Not I'm not including Jay Culler in this mess. I think when you have a young quarterback, you don't also want a rookie head coach. Because you look at it and it's like... You you have now two people... Your mo- two key spots have to, got to figure out their new job. And I think that's a lot. It, As much as I like Mike McCarthy, maybe Adam Gase could be the right choice. Maybe he can get Sam Darnold that way.
2: But was Sean McVay and Jared Goff not the same situation?
1: Well, Jared Goff was a a year before Sean McVay, at least.
2: Well, ideally, Darnold will be right. He'll be in his second year. Adam Gase is not technically a first-year head coach. I think when you look at it, if you're a Jets fan, you have to understand that Maybe this is also a good thing because then they can learn together and they're on the same page. You know, sometimes it's hard to bring in somebody who's on a different speed than you. If you guys are moving together, you may be able to move this football team together in the right direction.
1: I think it's also tough to I, – I think we compare – like no one compares head coaches to Bill Bauchek. Right. Well, you, well, you can't. <laughs> it, exactly. You You really can't. But we like to try and compare a lot to Sean McVay. And, and it's tough to compare co- uh, coaches to him. Cause how many coaches have we met that are Sean McVay? So I, I think that's tough to always compare to like Sean McVay. But there are instances where this does work out very well. And I think one of the keys is did the Jets get it right? I don't know. I like Adam Gase. I think it could work. I think he could be the right guy to help Sam Donald. But the true key for them was they didn't get the guy from pur- Purdue. Like, that was, I think, the other option that they were going with was like the Purdue head coach.
2: Well, it sounded like he didn't want to leave Purdue, which is also understandable.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, he's going to the Jets. Let's... So you're down a notch, and you don't do an NFL team. Which one? The Jets. Oh, yeah.
2: There's a uh, reason why Nick Saban stays put, right?
1: <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Well, if they got into the Purdue head coach... Which I or don't even, know, or they, even
2: Kingsbury, really.
1: That's another example. It's going to be Josh Rosen having to work with another young rookie head coach. It's going to be very tough, and and Rosen and the Cardinals have just so much that they have to fit. It's a poor example to use them. But the idea is they went with an actual veteran that's had a coaching experience for a couple years. McCarthy's got much more with the title, but when you look at the players that McCarthy's had, it's been Aaron Rodgers and, what, Brett Favre. So I, I, I don't really know what to value that. He's had two of the best quarterbacks of all time. <clears throat> how do you value what he'll get out of a quarterback that might not be that?
2: This is also true. You know how much of that was really Mike McCarthy's success when you have two basically Hall of Fame quarterbacks, right? It, um,
1: and Chuck Pagano said it when he yeah. to Andrew Luck on on a show. Chuck Pagano said, "I got." One or two years more etched more than I deserved because of Andrew Luck. Well, what if we equate the same thing out of Mike McCarthy? You know, Mike McCarthy's still not with the team right now. So let's not flip out that the Jets didn't get Mike McCarthy. It's not like other teams were jumping head over heels for him. He, he may have only been considering the Jets, but, you know, you're certainly considering other places for a job. It's not like Bruce Aries retiring every other season like Brett Favre. So I, th- I think there is some consideration to that. Is Aaron Rodgers the difference maker? Was the Packers just terrible between you know head coaching, scouting, general manager? And a lot of that can fall on a head coach. And was Aaron Rodgers the only reason this team was able to barely stay afloat half the time?
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, I think the main takeaway, though, is that you're right. This could work. It could not work. But if you're a Jets fan, Adam Gase is a proven head coach and – <coughs> he has familiarity with the AFC East already. So that's something that could be in his advantage.
1: Yeah, certainly so. Uh so I, I do like that coaching signing. Uh, let's jump into the the last football one. And then we gotta jump into a few others. Kyle Murray. Kyle Murray has declared for the NFL draft, as he's also tentatively in Oakland A but he's going for the draft and we had discussed earlier which one of the choices will this work out was now that he's the 12th the draft will he be a success do you feel in the nfl
2: you know it's hard to tell because especially because of his size right if he i read you know i was listening to espn the other day. if he enters the nfl he'll be one of the shortest qbs on a roster right i believe he's 5'9 5'10 or something of that of that nature Um, he'll be one of the shorter QBs. And, you know, being a short QB is not exactly, you know, you don't get disqualified for that. But if you look at a lot of the QBs in the league, they're larger human beings that can really tower over people too to throw the ball overhead too. I think Kyler Murray could be a huge success in the NFL. You know, if he wants to go that route, he's a mobile QB. He can run. He throws pretty accurately for someone who likes to run too. So he's not like a Lamar Jackson where his accuracy is kind of off. So bottom line is, if he goes to the right team, he could be a success. So I honestly think he should go the NFL route. But if you go the MLB route, you might not make it to the big leagues. At least with the NFL, you know you're going to get drafted in the first round. I highly believe that. And I also think he'll crack a roster sooner rather than later. So he'll see success quicker in the NFL rather than if he goes the MLB
1: route. All right. So I think... More money is possible through the NFL. If you're if you're a good NFL quarterback, more
2: more guaranteed money. You'll make
1: more money uh, as a quarterback than you'll make as an outfielder. Uh, As far as health, you know, you can get hurt in baseball. There's no safe way to put it. Uh, But obviously, longevity-wise, baseball is the safer choice. But which one will he have success in? Because basically he went off in both sports the same year. He had a great batting average, over 400 on base percentage in his third year of college, far better than his first two. And then he plays football and he has a monster season, one of the best seasons as a quarterback in college. uh,
2: And a Heisman Trophy winning?
1: Yeah. (laughs) add that to the list. But, like you mentioned, he's going to be one of the smallest quarterbacks to ever play if he was to be a starter in the NFL. I don't think this is a guy that can be a starter immediately. I think this is a clipboard guy to begin with. And we're not seeing that as much as we have over the past couple years, but I still support the clipboard idea, and I think that's a key for him. The best defense he played is Alabama and Alabama was a phenomenal defense throughout the entire regular season. They get into the playoffs, and the first quarter they really shut down Kyle Murray. After that, they played terrible against him, and he was able to put up a lot of close touchdowns and make it a a much closer game than I thought it ever would have been. But Clemson ran through Alabama like it was nothing, so I don't really want to rank the defense as what it can be at times. Plus, I think Alabama was missing a guy or two when it came to the Oklahoma game. Apart from that, he only played two ranked teams, Texas twice. He lost once, won once in West Virginia. West Virginia was a complete shootout, and Texas was not much of a difference. A lot of the games were shootouts, and you know some of the teams that he's playing, he's not playing great football teams. I'm not going to really value it. And when you consider the draft spot he's going, I don't think he ranks as the number one quarterback. I think he does get into the first round because of just everyone's need for a quarterback. But I don't think he's worth the risk. And unless you're in the middle of the draft or later.
2: So where do you rank him out of the QBs that are that have declared so far? I,
1: I rank him second. But I rank him second where like, Quarterbacks should not be taken that many this year.
2: Who's number one for you?
1: Uh, Dwayne Harris. Haskins. Uh, saying it, wrong?
2: Yep. Uh, <laughs> shocker. Shocker. Dwayne Haskins.
1: Yes. Okay. Um, that's my number one because it's just more of a prototypical.
2: See, I feel like there's just there's so much hype around Kyler Murray that he goes. He's the first QB to go.
1: But is he, is he as talented as? I,
2: no, I think no, there's he's not. A, but he's so much. There's so much hype around him right now. He, he's the first QB to go off the board.
1: Is the risk worth the reward? Are you taking much? Um, are you taking more of a risk with no, Kyle Murray?
2: I I agree with you. If I, if let's say, if I am i don't know the New York Giants and a pick is in front of me to between to choose between Haskins and Murray, I'm choosing Haskins. But I I do believe that a team will pick Murray within the first couple of picks.
1: Oh, you're saying like within top five, possibly I could see Jacksonville taking him. I think they're all over Nick Foles. <laughs> Maybe, but that, that's your other options. Like there is like a Nick Foles out there. There is a Joe Flacco out there. The Giants still have Eli Manning. Are they going to? If the Giants, because you're talking about. The Giants are not drafting a quarterback. Let's get that one straight.
2: You don't think so? No.
1: Not this time around? Not at all. You can't. <laughs> if you're the Giants, you're in a second-year head coach and a second-year GM. Are you going to draft a quarterback in the first round and just say we're going to use our pick for a clipboard on one more year of Eli Manning? Why no, not? They have, they have love to go the clipboard. For it. I love the clipboard. But. <laughs> I think people love their jobs more. <laughs> what? what? What is that saying if you're the head coach and you're the general manager? Give us another year. We're going to suck this year, and then we're going to be good when this kid comes around because it's no, Eli's
2: squeeze, fault? You squeeze what you have left out of Eli Manning. You look at Eli Manning as a rag right now and you keep squeezing whatever you can out into the bucket. And you hope that one more year at least is a playoff year. And then you have your guy to take over next year
1: but that's the thing though if it isn't Eli you you're not expecting this to be the Baltimore Ravens where it's like oh Lamar Jackson comes in and fits this entire mess it, that would be the best best case scenario if you draft Kyle Murray because it's then you're basically saying you know give us another uh, one more year of our mess because we were you know we didn't make the playoffs uh, because we're the Giants, and then we have this guy that played extremely well in the second half of the season and basically say that that would be the only hope that they can prey on. But No no GM and no coach should be looking at drafting if you're in your second year as together a, a quarterback. Well, I you do if you just, need a quarterback. <laughs> you do if you need a quarterback, sure. Which they do. But you you can't if you're considering your own jobs. You You let it you let it self-destruct before you go down that path. The
2: only scenario that I see the Giants not taking a quarterback in the first round is if they really believe Herbert from Oregon is the real deal, they wait till next year to grab him.
1: Well, I, does it give you a better chance if you go offensive line to protect Eli for a year, to give him more time, to give Saquon Barkley a chance to run the ball a little bit better than just hoping for the big yard breakouts? Sure, uh, but after a while... Is it better just... to go a defensive player?
2: But after a while, you're just avoiding the inevitable at that point. Well, I, I
1: Go uh, avoid the inevitable. And if you're terrible again, then maybe you can get another year, and maybe you can go uh, a quarterback, and then you have money on your team as well, and you can go sign players again because Eli Manning's gone. There's, there's a lot of different things that you can make happen, but I feel like you're creating a terrible story in New York, mind you, if you go Kyle, Kyle Murray. And I think for a lot of teams, there can be those question marks. Yes, Jacksonville can use a quarterback, but do they want a rookie? This is a team a year removed from the AFC Conference Championship. And they had the Blake Bortles. And then you have the entire mess that Leonard Fournette is, and they're going to have to release him. So you have, you have a lot more to deal with. You want to try and do a more veteran aspect than you're going to, to do a rookie aspect. You're going to go with someone that's gone to the playoffs, that's won in the playoffs, that showed up in the playoffs more than you want a rookie because of the fact that you've gotten there that far. So I, for me, I look at it and say uh, the chances are I, I like Miami to sign them. Miami is a good chance to go for it. Uh, 13th, like the 15th pick in the draft. But I'm not saying he's going in the top 10. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes in the top 10 just because of how much quarterbacks are needed. And if he does, I mean, clearly he's making the better choice by going to the NFL Uh, as far as money goes, popularity goes, sponsorships go, fame goes, longevity. No. Uh, success? I don't know. I don't think so. Even in an offensive-driven lead, I don't think there's going to be a lot of success from him. So I I think that's my view of it for him. Uh, sticking with our one other college player, uh, not declared yet, but certainly will be declared and will be the first pick in the NBA draft. I don't think that's becoming a question anymore. Zion Williams. And Syracuse uh head coach, you know, compared him to Charles Barkley except not fat. I wish I thought it was hysterical. Hey, I thought that was a great comparison also, but what's a good comparison for you for Zion Williams? Is he in your eyes the Nets LeBron James? Uh where do you look at him as so far how he's played?
2: First of all, I think it's unfair. To call anybody the next LeBron James, I think LeBron James is in a class of his own. And believe it or not, I I mean, this may sound like a punk out to the question, but I think Zion Williamson is Zion Williamson. I think that's he's he. There's I don't think we've ever seen anything like him in a way, honestly. In all due respect, because I mean, the kid is what 280 pounds. He doesn't look 280 pounds. First of all, when you watch him play, he's six foot ten. Doesn't look six foot ten. Honestly, he's a very stocky kid. I don't know if we've seen a lot of players like him in the past. I don't want to call him the next LeBron James because, one, I don't think that's fair to LeBron James. And I don't think it's fair to Zion Williamson. I think Zion still has a lot to prove. And what I will say, and this is the thing, when any, when, whenever anybody asks me about the Duke freshman in general, the one thing I really admire about the young kids and Zion is that they're not cocky. And they know how to share the basketball. Any one of these kids could have a massive ego because, you know, any one of these starting four, between him, Reddish, Barrett, and even Trey Jones, can go in the top ten in the NBA draft this year, honestly, in my opinion. But all of them check their ego at the door, and they play tremendous basketball together. Um, So, honestly, I don't think he compares to anybody. I think he's himself. I think he's a very, very talented basketball player that still has a lot to prove but can easily go in the top five. I'm not ready to say he's going to go to top one. But I think he can go in the top five for sure, depending on who's picking first. Um, so I I, I do not have a player comparison, because I don't think we've seen a player like Zion Williamson before.
1: I, I don't think... The closest, I think, the reason we see a lot of LeBron James comparisons is because...
2: He's a freak of nature? Yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's the best way to put it. I mean, body-wise, physique-wise, uh, power-wise, the... the only comparison you can make is LeBron James.
2: But we also said Ben Simmons was the next LeBron James. Remember that?
1: Ben Simmons is turning into an all-round player. But Ben Simmons, I still...
2: But you remember at a college, they were labeling him the next LeBron James. Remember they even made him the same cover as LeBron James on Sports Illustrated when he got drafted out of high school? You remember all that. But
1: One of the things, though, is top itself so uh, let's not forget that. Like you know, headlines sell. It's great when we compare guys to LeBron James. It's great when we compare LeBron James to Michael Jordan. It's great when we can try and say who's in that's Mike Trout.
2: Hopefully not Jared Klinik. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but the the point is like I none of us. I don't think we're ever saying out of college Ben Simmons should be compared to the Nets LeBron champs, because Ben Simmons doesn't have a jump shot, and a year into the NBA, well, what are we now, three years into the NBA, because he missed one, but he's still a sophomore, is he a rookie still, <laughs> however many years in his rookie or sophomore or whatever year, he still doesn't have a jump shot, he, he gets points. He scores in the paint. He doesn't really hit the foul shots. He gets his entire team the ball. He's obviously going to rebound well. He's going to get the assist. And he's like the team's true point guard. He reminds me more of, I don't want to say a Magic Johnson. But a Magic Johnson because, again, like I, I kind of view LeBron James as a much better. Sh- and I don't think this is far stretched. I, I view LeBron James as a much better shooter than Ben Simmons. Of course if if anything, Ben Simmons also reminds me of a taller Jason kid I, I think Zion has the ability to obviously get his uh, teammates involved because of the fact that if you leave him one on one and with his body, he's able to drive very well to the paint. I liked a really good comparison of not LeBron. But he honestly reminds me of, of a LeBron body, but a player like Giannis. Giannis isn't a guy that takes a lot of jump shots. Giannis isn't a guy that takes threes. Now, Zion can hit the three, can take jump shots, but he does get his team involved as well. So I really like I, – I view that more of a comparison. It's a guy that doesn't take – doesn't have the uh, necessary ability to be a consistent jump shooter. You hear that? Congrats, Cleveland. All right, no, no, not out of the no- <laughs> Cleveland should be banned from the number one pitch till like, 2030.
2: We all know it's going to be rigged, because the last time LeBron left, they had the number one pick as well, too. They're going to get the number one pick this year. They're going to get Zion, which is actually not a bad thing, because I think, you know, it's important for Zion to have a good point guard, too. You see that this year with Duke. Trey Jones really distributes the ball very nicely. And I think Colin Sexton could be a good point guard for Zion Williamson, honestly.
1: Enough of the Cavs having a number one pick.
2: They've had too many, and they bust half. I'm sorry, have the Suns have not had enough?
1: Any other team. I'll take any other team.
2: So by that logic, the Knicks should get the number one pick because the they just Sixers haven't had can it. The have it again.
1: <laughs> Why? I get that's
2: too many times, too. Honestly, if we're going to go by that logic, the Knicks should be gifted the first round pick then. The I, I will I will cheer the
1: process over I will cheer the Cavs getting the number one pick. Just because it's just, oh, enough, enough of the Cavs.
2: So the 76ers, the Suns, and the, the Cavs, and honestly the Celtics because of Brooklyn's massive trade, they all should get out to of the top five because they've had enough.
1: I, I think you've lost rights to number one pits when you've had four, and it's 2019, and none of them play for you.
2: Oh, Sorry, Sacramento. You hear that? You too.
1: Sacramento hasn't had the number one in how long?
2: No, but they've had a lot of top five. And actually, yeah, they've been, they've they been s- doing better, because their roster's actually been really good lately. Yeah, because so that, they suck for
1: so long. But, I, I, I think, but again, Sacramento's a good example. They traded DeMarcus Cousins. And they got other guys that were top draft picks from the the Paladins. Even though he made
2: fun of that trade, too?
1: But you look at who they have on the team with them. Yeah, yeah. It it works out well. And their team is not complete, and they're the next team that should hold the process sign. Uh, But that's a good example of it. it. Cleveland doesn't need a number one pitch. They need a... They need another LeBron, another miracle. We are not comparing Zion to that because I am not letting that happen. That's it. No more.
2: I could just see Nick traveling through time now to stop the prophecy of Zion going to the Cavs. I could see you wearing an eye patch, have a cape, everything.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to play for a lot of road teams against the Cavs. Help even the, set, even the games out a little bit.
2: You could be like a modern-day Joe Inglis.
1: I like him. He occasionally it's three. No, so, I I I like Zion. Um, I think one of the big things though for him is obviously he's playing on Duke, and when you mentioned also the players around him, it's two other NBA future guys. I I think this three
2: is, three other. I count Trey Jones in there too.
1: I, I don't put him as high,
2: but he is an everyday NBA point guard.
1: I, I have RJ and I have Cam Zion. I think they're three of the top six players that go in this draft.
2: But I do think Trey Jones goes in the draft as well, too, in the first oh, I, I, round. Maybe late late in the first round, but...
1: I mean, this reminds me of like Kentucky, like five of their... T- half of Kentucky just goes in the draft, and most of them go in the first round. I think that completely happened. I think you could see this the same way like when Anthony Davis and Michael Kindred, uh, did Kildress, whatever, how do you say it, um, were one and two from Kentucky.
2: And the water boy goes, pick 76, Yeah. <laughs>
1: Take everybody. but That's the point. I think this could clearly be like Duke 1, Duke 2, Duke 4 type yeah. of thing. So I th- I think that is what's key. It's getting players around him, trusting players around him, knowing that you have other NBA players that are on your team right now. Uh, so, But I don't agree with the LeBron James comparisons. Because we've never seen a player like LeBron James. He is the greatest player of all time. And I don't think people right out the get-go should be comparing him to that. We might have done it with Kobe. But Kobe was always having that uh, that Michael Jordan comparison since day one. Same build. Same size. Jump shooter. Drive to win. And LeBron James was that original physique and turned into so much more. So I think Zion is going to have to try and continuously upgrade his game and to work extremely hard to improve his game to get to any point of a LeBron James before that. Moving on to another topic, I know we've been only touching a few, but I'm going to stick with a little bit more of the NC basketball. Uh... You know, we're decently through the season. I always love March Madness, but I want to talk about some of the right teams. Give me a team where you don't think has been high enough in their credit so far.
2: Well, I'm going to take the team that just beat Duke, which is Syracuse. Um, you know, this is a team that always sneaks its way into the tournament. Um, you know, obviously I'm being biased because, you know, Syracuse in New York, I'm going to take the hometown team. I'm a big fan of Jim Bainheim. Um, but I think any team that could take apart Duke the way they did, defensively. You know, should be higher ranked, because honestly, it's not an easy thing to do. And yes, Trey Jones did get hurt in that game, but you got to give Syracuse credit. They hung with them, and they beat Duke by picking at their weaknesses. And And you can argue that Cam Reddish wasn't playing either, so totally different game. You know, if Duke is at full strength, maybe Syracuse doesn't win. But I think Syracuse did a really good display of defensive basketball and got a good win. And that's what Syracuse does. Syracuse plays by playing great defense. So, you know, don't overlook Syracuse just because they don't have a lot of recruits. This is a very good defensive basketball team that always finds its way into the tournament.
1: There's a lot of different teams I can choose, but I'm going to take the easy one for me. And that's Buffalo. Buffalo, a lot of people have them ranked in like that 14 to 16. And... To me, that is just way too low. Granted, they're not as big of a school when you consider teams like Kentucky, teams like Kansas, Michigan State, but they should be ranked just as high. Uh, I'm looking at Virginia Tech. They don't deserve to be that high. They don't deserve to be above Buffalo. Buffalo's 16-1. and one. They're 7-1 and one on the road. Most teams in the top 20 haven't even played that many games on the road. They've played at most three, four, or five. And this team's played eight road games. They're extremely impressive. They have a plus 15 point differential. That's higher than Kansas. Almost double higher than Kansas. That's higher than a lot of the top teams. And it's higher than teams like Kentucky as well, who's ahead of them. So, I don't get why Buffalo doesn't get a lot of credit. I don't think they have that, like, true star. But uh, the thing about, like, a Buffalo team, it reminds me a lot of, like, Denzada. Because Denzada always, we never really talked about Denzada holding a star star. What we talked about Denzada having is seniors, upperclassmen. And Buffalo has been doing this for a couple of years now. That they have a few more upperclassmen on the team, so I really like Buffalo as a key team that shouldn't be ranked as low as they are. I I certainly think they're better than Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech's in the top 10. Some people have Houston right now ahead of Buffalo, depending on where the rankings are. I don't even consider Houston near the top 10, even with their record, because of just how many road games they're playing how many home games they've been playing, but, you know, most of, looking at Buffalo, just a ton of seniors, and I think that's the big key. On this roster, seven seniors, so, and then they that veteran presence, that when you talk about March Madness, that's what I'm really looking at, where are the upperclassmen that have been there years before, and what do you look at that veteran leadership, you know, Teams with seniors, and that's what Buffalo has. Manny Machado still hasn't signed. Bryce Harper still hasn't signed. Dallas Title still hasn't signed. AJ Pouts, I'm not going to read off the entire list, but what I will talk about on this one, and I do have to talk about you with this, is the report was the White Sox offered Manny Machado seven years, $175 million. And Jose, how much higher did you think that was going to be to begin with?
2: Well, honestly, I really thought it was going to be at least in a two hundred million dollar range. I would have expected it even over two hundred and fifty, because honestly, if you're the White Sox, you really have to persuade someone to come to Chicago, right? Because honestly, what was your pitch? Okay, we may not compete next year. We still might be a year away, right? Because Kopech is injured. A lot of our, you know. Our pitchers haven't reached the majors yet. Dylan Cease is probably going to be up in the majors at some point this year. We're still waiting on Lucas Giolito to put it together in A after we got him from the Nationals the year before. So the White Sox are not a complete team yet. So to get Harper or Machado, I know we're talking about Machado, but to get either one of those guys, you're going to have to overpay to get them right, remember what the Nationals did a couple years ago before they got really good and they paid Jason Worth, was it like 120, 140? We were like, What the hell are they doing? Well, it's because when you're still a bad team, you have to convince someone to come here and pay them a little bit outrageously. So I was very surprised that the offer wasn't at least over 200 million for Machado, especially since those were his demands coming into the year, right? But to get 175 for I mean, you're still getting 25 per year. It's not a bad offer. Hey, I would take that money for sure. But I was surprised that it wasn't over $200 million, considering that the White Sox don't have the greatest sell to get one of these guys.
1: Sure they do. They hold all of his family and friends. No, 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 no.
2: Forget that, Nick. Come on. We <laughs> talked about that. Machado wants to get paid, and I believe he wants to win too. If the White Sox weren't going to offer the money, you're not the Yankees. You can't offer a discount and be like, hey, we're not going to pay you as much, but we're going to win a World Series. There's no guarantee that the White Sox even win the division, even with Machado. So you're going to have to overpay a guy to convince him to come to a crappy team at least for a year or so.
1: Forget just the White Sox, the Phillies, and the Yankee fan base. Because those are the three big dogs that are trying to get Machado right now. Not the Yankees, the
2: Yankees fan base.
1: But just No, I'm just talking about those teams. Forget about just those three fan bases. After hearing this, should every fan base in the MLB just be totally like, what is going on? Why is our team not making an offer right now? Unless you're like the A's.
2: Or the Mets, apparently.
1: But that's the point. Like At this point, if you're looking at that as the offer, can't you match it? Can't you raise it a little bit?
2: But the question is, should
1: you? Well,
2: should you? Well, I think it depends on which team we're talking about here. I
1: I think any team we're talking about. No,
2: because if you're the Yankees, you don't need Manny Machado. Manny Machado needs the Yankees more than the Yankees need Manny Machado. That's why if I'm the Yankees, I stand my ground and say, hey, I'm not paying you $200 million because we don't need you here. You want to be here. We're good with the team. The team's good without you. We can win a World Series without Manny Machado. If you're the Phillies, I think you say, hey, this is our chance to pounce on him and give him 220 mil for 10 years.
1: You don't have to give it for 10 years at this point. If you're Manny Machado, right, what do you take more? 7 for 175 or 6 for like 180?
2: Well, I don't know. I think if you're Machado, I think you really won over 200.
1: Even if you – but that's
2: – You think Machado is taking less than 200 at all?
1: I think you have to consider what your options are. And if your options are you're getting 175, right? You can take less years with more money. So if you take seven years for 175, or you take five years for 150, the better deal is five years for 150. You're getting 30 million a year compared to your 25 million a year. You leave that contract at age 31. And you have another five-year deal you can sign. It's probably going to be less than that five years 150 you just signed. But you'll make more than a 25 million on those last two years. And you won't be entering your free agency at age 33 on this seventh year. Or age 34 on your eighth year. You're going to be entering free agency at age 31. You're not going to get that 7 to 10-year deal like most people have gotten, like in Albert Pools or Cano or far back when it was just 2007 to 2011 and everybody was getting 10-year deals. You're not getting that anymore, and I think the MLB owners have said enough to that. But if you're looking at 7 years, you can get less for more money in that time span. And get out on the right free agent market. You're telling me the Mets or the Phillies or any team can't offer six years 180. Five years 150. Eight years 200. Maybe that's too high on eight years. So make it a little less years. Make it a little bit more money. $30 million a year Manny Machado when he's age 26. He'll still be making less money a year than Zach Granke. And how much younger is he than Zach Granke? He'll be making less money than Clayton Kershaw. 30 years, 30 million a year for five or six years, he'll be making about the same amount of money as Mike Trout for the same age. Or a year younger. I mean, that type of deal makes sense. And I don't know which team is looking at it as a bad deal. And it doesn't matter what team you are. You're upgrading with one of the best players in the league. Am, am I talking crazy right now? What are your thoughts on this?
2: I mean, I get it. But the thing is, though, is that with Manny Machado is that there's there's not a lot of teams that need him, right? We, when we're talking about the Phillies, the White Sox, the Yankees, those are really the only three teams that need Manny Machado. You can argue that a lot more teams need him, too. But, you know, this is very similar to the J.D. Martinez thing that happened last year, right? They were looking for a fixed number, and it wasn't until, what, March was when J.D. Martinez signed with the Red Sox that he was able to bring down his number a little bit. If Manny Machado doesn't think he can get more, then by all means, take this offer or, or see if you can squeeze more. But I don't think teams should go more just because the White Sox are kind of, you know, trying to buy low here. You're not, you're not trying to bait into the game here of paying too much for someone you don't need. The Yankees don't need Manny Machado, so to me if you're the Phillies, you should go out there and offer at least two hundred million to try and top that offer, but don't go crazy either.
1: I'm not saying you have to go like an auction and it's like one seventy five, two fifty.
2: Do I hear twenty five hundred dollar?
1: No, you you're not going like seventy five million more in three more years. That's just silly. But what I am saying is like you can match that. You can raise that. You can give less years and raise that. Seven years, 125. What is six years, 180? One less year, five more million a year. You barely have a lot of players that you're paying as of right now if you're the Phillies. Even if you're the Yankees. If you're the Padres. I mean, the Padres could sneak into Any team can literally just sneak into this and just offer a little bit more or a little bit less years, and just as much money.
2: Sure, but I don't, you know, and I think this is what's confusing too, Though is that this is just the first offer at the White Sox. This is the offer that the White Sox gave, right? There's no knowing that teams have offered more. We don't know if anybody has offered more. There could be possibly a better offer out there. This is just the one that we know is public. Or maybe the Phillies, or maybe the Yankees have talked about an amount in the 200s. We just don't know it because it wasn't officially offered, right? So this is all just speculation, really. We're just talking about what we know has been offered to Machado. So I would find it a little bit hard to believe that there wasn't a higher number talked about, but I am also surprised that the White Sox didn't offer more.
1: Yeah, so I thought, this, I thought this number was going to be up at like 220. I, I didn't want to say 250. I'm not saying 300. I, I figured 220. I figured 8 years, 220 million. When you, when you add that together, it's $27 million or so each year for a guy that's $0.26. That will be 34 at the end of his deal. And even then, at the last like two years, you could always make some opt-outs. Obviously, team opt-out is just unheard of now in baseball, but player opt-outs. You can do after like the fourth year of player opt-out. There's different moves you can make, even if you want. On Here's a deal, idea: uh, six years after the third year, an opt out, and if it's three years, you pay like thirty-two million each year. It's going to be a lot up front, and he's going to opt out after the third year, and you won't have to pay him that much at the end, or you just pay the three thirty million average. And there are so many different contracts you can do that I don't know how every team's not on the phone unless this is just like bait by an agent that's trying to raise it. But this is a weird stance that I think too many general managers and MLB owners are taking this season that they're just not doing these kind of large contracts. And I totally get that if they were 30, 31, 32, or 33. But we're talking about Bryce Harper and Matt Machado who are 26 years old.
2: Just we are. At- but you and I both know that. There are players who, know, I'm not afraid to say it, are just as talented that are a little bit younger and also cheaper. That's just the way the game is trending these days.
1: Do you agree with that? Do you agree with this being the right move?
2: I mean... We can't control teams and how much they want to spend on pe- you know, spend on these players. Um, I think eventually, you know, this is an interesting topic though to talk about because, you know, well, there's a lot of rumors saying that in 2021 there may be a players' lockout, um, which means basically it's fancier terms for players on strike. And and I get it. Baseball is it's a it's a it's a money pumping sport, right? There's there's more money being pumped into the game. Now, more than ever before, between TV deals and between all these new partnerships, a lot of owners are getting a lot of money and a lot of big guys are getting a lot of big numbers next to their names and the players aren't seeing their cut, right? But it's a little hard to argue that because players get paid so much money already, but I understand wanting to get paid more if the game is doing well. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I agree with teams not wanting to pay for guys who are 32 years old because why am I going to pay for your decline years when I can just pay you more in arbitration? for you to play your best years for me. Um, but honestly, I mean, I've been on record saying I don't think Harper deserves over $200 million. What has he done so far to get over $200 million? To so me, Manny Machado is a little bit of a different story. Um, so no, I don't agree fully with the strategy, but I'm also not going to tell teams how to spend their money
0: either.
1: But I mean, if anybody spends eight years 125 on Manny Machado, are we going to look at that as a bad deal?
2: No, I'm not because that's still plenty of money. He might look at that as a bad deal, but I think it's a phenomenal deal.
1: <laughs> I think it's your team you're celebrating. Maybe there's an opt out at some point, but you're not tied but I'm not going to act like you're tied down. Like this isn't like
2: But if he gets an opt out, are we going to pretend like this money is still going to be available later on?
1: But we're we're also not talking about this contract being like no one's expecting it to be like Chintalo, Stanton's, Miguel Cabrera's, Albert Pujols, Robinson Cano's. No one's saying it's in that range, and especially when you consider the age factor of these guys right now. So I, I don't get—I don't get the hate behind it. Uh, but as we're getting past that, almost as we're getting closer to spring training. Do you feel like teams are going to be a little bit more aggressive and oh, by offering less deal, uh, less years, more money to free agents like Dallas Keidel, AJ Pollock, or Bryce Harper or Manny Machado right now?
2: I don't see teams being more aggressive. I don't think that's the right word for it. I think you will see teams. I think you will see more than one team. Like you will see numerous teams talking to the same player. Um, pumping out different one year deal, two year deal scenarios to guys kind of like Mustakis, Keigel, because we are getting to that point where teams now have the leverage in saying, hey, you're unemployed. Do you really want to go to the whole month of March and the fe- whole month of February and March with not really being on the team and starting your season late? Look at what happened to Jake Arrieta last year, right? He started the season late and he didn't have a terrible year, but he also didn't have a Jake Arrieta type year either. Do you really want that to happen to you? Don't you want to be fresh in case you do hit the market again next year? That way you can have a really, really good year. So I think you, I think teams won't be aggressive, but teams are going to start being persuasive and you will see numerous teams be linked to free agents that they weren't linked to before because now they're more affordable in terms of years. So let's say if the Padres weren't in on Kygo before, now you will see the, the Padres in on go because they may they may be able to land them on a one-year or two-year deal.
1: Uh, yeah, I certainly think now is you know, a great time to do it.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're to going to, to start seeing teams that basically you wouldn't have thought they were going to be a fit for a person before. You probably will start seeing those teams now. Because honestly, I didn't see the Brewers as a fit for Yasmani and Grindel. Then they come out of nowhere and sign up for a one-year $18 million deal. It's smart. But I also didn't think the Brewers are going to be in play for him. I think you're going to start seeing a lot of random teams, you know, sign a lot of these guys to one year, two year things that we didn't think they were going to sign them before.
1: Especially teams competing. Yeah, the Brewers are trying to compete for the postseason, trying to compete for the World Series. They're a great team to do this. You know, and it's it's just one year at the end of the day. And their hopes are, you know, guys like Eric Thames might not be on the team in a year or two. Ryan Braun might not be on the team in a couple of years. So they can afford, like, you know, let's not lock in ourselves long term, but short term, let's pay a little bit of money now so we have money in the future. So I, I think that's a great move. Uh, one of the teams I'm kind of expecting to try and make a break for it, I think the Minnesota Twins. I'm keeping my eye on them. I, I think they're just they're a team I just see that it's just going to go out and try and spend a little bit of extra money right before the sprint training time.
2: Why not? I mean, if the deals are out there and the players are available, you know, you're in control. At, basically, at this point, the teams are in control.
1: All right. We're going to go into a little bit of basketball before jumping back into baseball. Uh, the Rockets play the Nets tonight. Uh, we're just about to see the Rockets win. They're up in the fourth quarter. Uh, Harden's got 50 points. He can't be up for dude. Shocker. He's not up for dude of the week for this game. But he is a potential winner for his last game as it just but Clint Capella out for the six weeks. Chris Paul's been out. Eric Gordon's been out. We've seen the Rockets are winning up by sits with 30 seconds left. This is really important for James Harden, I mean, he's obviously trying to win the MVP by himself because he's really just by himself right now, but do you think this can sustain long-term without the remaining core around them?
2: His performance or the Rockets winning? Both. Well, I don't think the Rockets winning can keep up if he's just doing it by himself. I mean, give him credit. Um, he's playing fantastic basketball right now. He's my pick for MVP. And I gave you the reasons why last week, and this is another reason why I do. Because so many people are missing around him, yet he's still keeping them afloat. Um, you know, and I, I just—it's—it's it's very hard for one man to carry a team, uh, unless you're LeBron James. But it's very hard for one man to carry a team all season and expect to win as many games as they do. And I think eventually. If Chris Paul continues to miss time sporadically here and there, and if Capella's injury ends up being a very long-term injury, you will see the Rockets potentially miss the playoffs, I think, in my mind, despite Harden carrying them on their back, or they might get in as an 8th seed. I don't think Harden himself is going to slow down, because this is just who he is. He's a machine, and when he gets the ball in his hand, he makes things happen. But it's going to be very hard for the Rockets to keep on winning um, if these other guys aren't playing as well, too. Well,
1: I think the Rockets' game plan is going to be exactly what we saw tonight. You know this they shot 21 of 63 from the three-point line they shot 10 of 35 in the first half and 11 of them trying to do the math what 28 I mean they're going to shoot up a ton of threes consistently that's going to be what their game plan is, I think, every single night now. And that might be their only way of winning games. Harden's going to be covered. Harden's going to be putting up points. Harden's going to get fouled. That's all obvious. It's going to be, can the rest of the team not store in the paint, but store behind the three-point line. I think that's going to be their only game plan. I think that can win you the games the way the NBA is played now. If you do and die by the three. But we're talking about a team that hit 21 threes tonight. And they're up by six. And they've put up 128 points. that That's not that much. And a lot has to go right in order for you to do that. So I don't really... I agree with you. I don't really love their game plan. Is a game plan that can work? Yes. But you're just living and dying by the threes. And the West Conference teams are a lot better... Than the Brooklyn Nets. And I think it's going to result in a lot more losses. But great stats. And a great stat line for James Harden. Pretty much on a consistent night. Well we're going to have to ask you this one though as well. The Brooklyn Nets. It's even closer now. But they are not that far. Out from the playoffs. In fact they are right now a playoff team. Which is crazy to say. Uh, Twenty-two and twenty-three, they hold right now the seventh spot. Either they'll finish a game under five hundred as of right now, or they'll be either five hundred or two games under five hundred. You know, they have a great chance of making the playoffs. Do you like their chances?
2: I do, Nick. I love their chances of making the playoffs. A very weak Eastern Conference. The Brooklyn Nets have a lot of good players on their team. I've been saying this. They have a lot of good role players. They just need that star to pull it all together. I could see them getting a 7th seed or an eight seed. And yes, they're going to get obliterated by the Toronto Raptors, whoever finishes first or second. But Brooklyn will make the playoffs, and it will be playoff basketball in Brooklyn and not in Madison Square Garden. So, ha! to Knicks fans, at least I can gloat in that face, but in all seriousness, and that's half a giant step forward this year. Jared Allen has played amazing basketball, in my opinion. D'Angelo Russell is really putting it all together as a leader on this team. Whether he stays or goes, honestly, or if he's a part of this team's future, it'll be interesting to see how they change their plans when playing so well now all of a sudden. Um, But, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, they signed him to a contract extension. Again, the Brooklyn Nets, there's just not much to say about them besides that they're a good team. They're a team full of role players, but they still need that person to tie things all together, and so they get that person, whether it's in free agency or through trade. They're not going to be any higher than the seventh seed, but I think they could still make the playoffs this year due to a very weak Eastern Conference, and they've played very well. So you got to tip your cap to them.
1: Yeah, I don't know if they'll go far in the playoffs, but I think. Getting no. To no, the no hey, hey, hey. One at a time, Nick. All right, come on. That's uh, unfair. That's not unfair. If they get there, we to, I don't think they're going far. The but
2: we have to make the playoffs. We're not talking about winning a playoff series. All right, we we make the playoffs. We're not even talking about winning a playoff game. We're just gonna be there. Okay. We're gonna be the. We're gonna be the Homer's dad in that meme where he walks in, takes his cap off, puts his cap back on, and leaves. Okay. Participation we'll trophies. It. We're gonna take it though. <laughs>
1: That's that's what we're at with the Brooklyn Nets. Participation trophies to get to the playoffs. That's I'll still an improvement. Still a great improvement if that's the case. All
2: right. Whatever gives me an excuse to wear, you can't throw Brooklyn without Brooke and Lynn on it. my, my shirt. It'll, it'll be fine. Even though none of them are on the team anymore. It's fine.
1: <sighs> it's still been a fun year for basketball. Yeah. That's for sure. All right, we're gonna jump into the AL West. It's our final division to cover. We've been doing this for I don't know how many episodes now, but we're finally we're getting to the end with the AL West, and I'm gonna start from the back. I worked way forward. The Texas Rangers. You know, there's not much to say positive about them. <laughs> uh, they traded away. Pro far to the A's. They're trying to get a little bit of draft picks, uh, younger guys, prospects. But you no, know, give me something positive about the Texas Rangers. Ah, uh, they're not
2: Baltimore. Uh, yeah, that, that's a good thing. I mean, they still have. Uh, I mean, they signed Lance Lynn, right? That, that's that's that, that's a positive thing, apparently. Um, no, honestly, I'm not going to lie to you, Nick. I don't have any positives for them. Honestly, if I'm the Rangers. Okay, I'll give you something positive. Joey Gallo. I like Gallo. their outfield, I I like jo- their outfield
1: well, at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, I mean, Jim their outfield pretty good. Gallo, I mean, honestly, I think Joey Gallo is a first baseman. I, I can't see him as an outfielder for too long in the future. Um, so whether they move Gallo to first base now that Adrian retired, um we we'll, retired, we'll see about that. Um, but Joey Gallo, you know, he had a 40-home run season last year. I, th- I believe he was one of um, the first Ranger players that have back-to-back 40-home run seasons since A-Rod uh, back in 2003 and 2004, I believe. I could be wrong about that, or maybe 2002-2003. Um, point is that Joey Gallo is still a prominent force on this team, but they need to start taking measures to build around him, right? Because the Rangers are still in that weird influx where... You know, they can play some good teams, but they're also not ready to take over and compete in that division yet either, right? Um, they sign Odor to that long-term contract. I think maybe this is the year that you start to look exploring the trade interests um, for guys like Odor or Elvis Andrews and see what you can get for those guys because eventually you're going to run out of time um, trying to build a team around Joey Gallo. Um, so if you're the Rangers, start looking to move some pieces so you can move forward with this young outfield and especially around young players like Mazzara and um, Joey Gallo.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a tough year. I, I don't think there's much positives to go into 2019 as a Texas Ranger fan. It's it's a long way. It's going to be a little bit of a battle to get back over that 500 baseball. It's they just don't have the roster, and they certainly do not have the pitching staff. I, it's going to be real tough. I think a long season for them. There's not even much trade bait. You know, this team, Adrian Beltray retired. Some of their top players are not there. Joey Dowell I really like, but how much can you like a guy that hits like 200? You, you love hits the,
2: more home runs than singles.
1: You love the home runs, but I mean, there, there's a point where is it doing you more good than bad at times, or is it a little bit more of a challenge? Uh, but yeah, you know, there's looking up the offseason moves right now and there's not much there. Uh Shelly Miller, Lance Lynn, Drew Smiley they traded with the Cubs for uh, Eli White, Rangers now number twelve prospect, Brock Burt, Rangers number six prospect. So I like that, but there's not you know, they they gotta build up the farm. They gotta help players call up. They they got a long rebuilding process at the end of the day. Now, the Angels signed Justin Bohr, They signed Matt Harvey, Jonathan Routory. They obviously have Mike Trout, and that's always a big help. But you know that pitching staff is still a big question mark uh, for me. What's your take on the Angels so far this offseason?
2: Yeah, I mean, to me, the Angels, they always play very well in the middle of the season, and they try their best to try and hang around for as long as possible. Of course, when you have a guy like Mike, it's very easy to play – some decent baseball half the season, but they always tail off at the end anyways. To me, pitching was always their big concern, and I feel like they've taken a lot of chances this year on a lot of one-year deals. I do like the signing of Matt Harvey only because he did okay in Cincinnati once he got traded from the Mets, maybe on a one-year deal. I know his contract has some incentives too. Maybe Matt Harvey's going to be focused on getting back on track so he can hit the free agent market again next year. So maybe you get a really good outstanding performance out of Matt Harvey. You bring in a guy like Jonathan Lucroy, We've seen the impact that Luke Roy has on pitching staffs. You saw what happened last year in Oakland. A lot of the younger pitchers love throwing to Jonathan Luke Roy. So I think the Angels are trending at least in the right direction of getting a guy like Luke Roy to help work with the younger pitchers in the bullpen and the younger pitchers in the rotation. And, you know, keeping Otani healthy is going to be very uh, important this year. I think maybe you don't have Otani pitch at all, and maybe you just save him as a DH slash outfielder. But really... For the Angels, similar to the Rangers, is that the Angels have to start coming up with ways to be creative and say, how do we make Mike Trout stay? Because in two to three years, Mike Trout can easily be like, you know what, guys? I'm tired. I'm done. I can't win here in L.A. I like it in L.A. I want to be the face of this franchise. I'll do anything for you guys, but I also want to win. So if the Angels don't want to see Mike Trout walk away and possibly go to the Phillies, for example— the Angels need to start making moves right now to try and help build a team around Mike Trout and stop wasting his best years.
1: Yeah, I like the Justin Bohr signing. I, I was very high on him on the Marlins. I think he could have a great year, especially having an offense around him. I think that's. Yeah, and,
2: I mean, and he's going to get a bulk of the playing time because, you know, Pujols is a TH basically at this point of his
1: career. Very much so. Uh, the pitching staff, though, is obviously going to be a big questions. They have no real bullpen. That's going to be a bit miss. But you know, you're you're banking on Jamie Barrar going into his second bidweight season, he had like a three point four ERA. you hope you need Matt Harvey to be the dark knight, or I guess it's a little bit too sunny for him to be the dark knight <laughs> in LA. Um Shoei Otani, I don't think he's gonna pitch at all next season. So your grace is pretty much gone, and Tyler Stads. I love him. He's a great pitcher. Cannot stay healthy. This is a guy when I saw on seven years, and I would have never guessed seven years. I only thought he was three years, and he's probably had less games played than that. Uh, this was his first year I 24 games. Uh, you don't expect a, high, a low ERA with him, he's never been one to have that consistency. There are times where he pitches phenomenal and then there are times he got lit up towards the end of the season. And that's the big question. From the end of July till the end of September. I mean, he made only like five games he played and he never went over four innings. Granted, the Angel season was done, but that's not what you want to see out of. The guy that's going to be either your number two, your number three, your number one consistently this year... Or that's what you're banking on. So there's not much to hope on this bullpen. For, on this bullpen to begin with, and then starting pitching, they could use a Dallas title. They certainly can afford a Dallas title, but they just won't go after a Dallas title. So it's always a strange moment for them. Uh, the Mariners. You mean, you mean the Angels
2: don't want to spend money? Shocker.
1: <laughs> uh, do they have money? <laughs> As pools, if they can take a loan from him. Uh, so the Mariners, if I try and read off this entire list, it will be a long, much longer podcast. Uh, let's go with the simple things. They traded away pretty much everybody. Uh, they've got an entire new roster, and they have three new top prospects. You can thank the Yankees and the Mets, Justice Sheffield, their new number one prospect, Jared Klinic, the Net, uh, Mariners number two and Justin Dunn, the Mariners number three prospect. Two of those from the Mets, one of those from the Yankees. They added even more top prospects on their team. You know, you got to love the moves that they're making at the end of the day, and they still have other trade pieces like Edwin and Taracion.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and to me, that's the big difference. There, there's ways you can rebuild. And I think the Mariners are being criticized for tearing things down and everything. But at least they're getting people back in these deals, right? They traded away Robinson Cano and everybody's like, oh, it's going to be a salary dump. Boo-hoo. But you got back Jared Kalenic and Justin Dunn because you traded him with a guy like Edwin Diaz. You're getting back players that still have some value. Um, You're getting back prospects still. And they're getting good players back in return. When they traded Gene Segura, they got J.P. Crawford back who could find his way maybe in triple A for them and maybe he rebounds nicely and maybe Seattle's a better fit for him than Philly was. So there's you got to be happy with the players they're getting back. They still have Mitch Henninger, who they seem to want to build a team around and I feel like what the what the Mariners are doing is they're getting players that they don't they don't think they are too far away, right? Just Sheffield could make his MLB, you know, debut. He I mean he pitched last year for the Yankees, but he can make his real debut next year. Justin Dunn can be in the majors as soon as next year. I firmly believe that. Um, Kalenik is still a couple of years away, but JP Crawford can be there next year. And like you said, they can still trade away guys like Edwin and They still have guys like Jay Bruce they can trade away. So they're getting guys back in trades that they could still flip at the deadline that would still be appealing to some teams, but they're also getting back younger players that they could still work with too. So it's not, they're not. They're not being crazy by trading away these guys, but they are getting back players they can get could at least use in the future.
1: Yeah, this is a lot of moves, a lot of salary dump. Yeah, and I mean they got they got to keep going. They keep going. Jay Bruce, Edwin Encarnacion, they're still going to salary dump other players. Kyle uh, Seager, probably. I, I I think he's a great fit for teams. You know, he's it, but you're just not going to get a lot back. You're of not going to get what you got back for Paxton, and you're not going to get what you got back for Edwin Diaz. But you're able to get rid of Cano. I think you can easily trade Edwin Artonarcion. I think there are plenty of teams that could use a DH like him. Even if he tries to play first base for consistency, there are teams that can use a first baseman like his ability. It's a guy that consistently hits well. It's 100 RBIs, 30-plus home runs. Every given year. What, uh, what more can you say about Edwin I doubt he's going to be a Mariner for long. Not at the trade deadline. I, I think it would be insane if he's still on that team. The Oakland Athletics. I think the most impressive thing to say about them is they won 97 games last year. I, I think that just sums up Oakland. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. <laughs> It really should be the slogan. Don't ask us how we get it done, but we'll get it done.
2: I believe they also had maybe I, I don't know if I'm correct on this, but they might have they might have had a second or third lowest payroll.
1: Oh, they in always the history
2: do. in the history to ever make the playoffs too, or something like that.
1: They always have like an extremely low payroll. They don't they don't know what salary is. Nope, they ain't paying it. That's one thing. But it works for them.
2: And and honestly, if you're Oakland, I think you just have to keep doing what you're doing. Because they're not going to go out there and they're not going to sign Dallas Keigel. They're not going to sign Bryce Harper. They're not going to sign Manny Machado.
1: And their fans don't expect it. They're never they going don't. to expect it. They're never going to want it. And why should you when your team still puts up 97 wins? But I will say, Nick,
2: <laughs> some teams that they can target or some players that they can target, if they would accept a one-year deal, why not A.J. Pollock for the Oakland A's?
1: It could work for them. Well, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I like their team the way it is, and I don't think they're and they're young. I, they do I,
2: need. They do need some sort of consistent pitching, though.
1: They are relying on young rookie outfielders, whether it be like Dustin Fowler or Loreno. but you know having Chris Davis as your everyday DH and he's, I think the best. He won the best DH of the year because J.D. Martinez, a lot of times, was playing in the field when he was putting up his bid numbers compared to Chris Davis that always uh, is just a designated hitter. Uh, Chapman at third base, young third baseman that's really excelling at, at the game. They traded for Justin, uh, they traded for Profar, Matt Olsen, they have one of the best closers in the game. I really, everybody loves their bullpen, and you have an, a pitching staff that re-signed Mike Fiers that they had to re-sign. You hope um, Sean Manet will be back next season, but I don't see that being likely. The starting pitching is still a lot of question marks, but they have a ton of starting pitching options. It's just whether they're going to go with that game plan of... You know, relief pitching first, relief pitching next, relief pitching next. And I don't know if that's going to win you consistency or it's going to kill your arms early in the season. But, you know, what's not to like about Oakland at the end of the day, other than their payroll?
2: I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, I would just like to see them get some consistent starting pitching. Um, You know, I think relying on bullpenning can hurt you in the long term for a season. Um, so, if you're the, if you're the A's, keep loading up on relievers to help you keep bullpenning, um, but also get some consistent starting pitching to help you in the long run, too.
1: And, lastly, our last team of these sits until we talk about our own standings much later on for MLB is the Houston Astros. You know, their big moves is watching Dallas Keuchel walk away, signing or trading for Osmanis Diaz. Former Blue Jay and Cardinal, but obviously the big move is signing Michael Bramley. And I, I truly believe he's one of the most underrated, underappreciated hitters in the entire MLB. And I expected him to sign with the Phillies or sign with the Atlanta Braves. I thought he was going to be a perfect fit there, but this is a guy that's just so underrated. Overall, I think this is a great steal by the Houston Astros to sign Michael Brantley. Uh, But Houston, is there any surprise if they're going to finish in in the top? Or is Oakland going to be able to give them another run for their money?
2: I think Oakland should be able to give them another run for their money. But if you're the Astros, I think it's pretty much, you know, you stay in the course here. I do think the Astros are going to need another starting pitcher at some point because they did lose Charlie Morton to the Rays. And Dallas Kygo is still a free agent. So unless Kygo comes back... You're looking at Verlander and Garrett Cole. I know Forrest Whitley is supposed to be up at some point in 2019. Very hard throwing right handed pitcher, um, you know. And I know they still have a lot of other guys left on their staff too that they trusted last year. But you if you already Brad asked,
1: P-tot and Lance McCullers are going to be starters. And down at that right. point,
2: although McCullers is, you know, his status is up in a doubt because he did have a torn UCL towards the end of the season. So we don't know what his health status is going into 2019. But with the Astros, what made them so good was that they can hit the ball all over the place, but when they were struggling offensively and when everybody was getting hurt, their pitching was carrying them. So I do think that the Astros do need another pitcher, that third or fourth kind of starter, whether it's through trade or some of the pitches that are still out there. I do think they need to get themselves another pitcher to really help them feel, you know, feel really confident going into the season. Yeah,
1: certainly if you can always upgrade, uh, certainly try and do so, especially when you're a team that's a 101 team, when you're in the AL that feature the Yankees and Red Sox. I think it was what, the first time we saw three teams win 100 games in the same league. It's going to be a tough fight for them. And you're not fighting as much for the regular season. Because at worst, you're a wild card team. And at worst, you have Justin Verlander pitching in that one-game wild card. So this is a team that's built for the playoffs. They made a great move signing Michael Brantley. I don't think it should stop there. I don't think this team should be quiet. Go out and sign players. You, you have a great lineup already. You don't need the offense. And the only big concern with Houston, though, is... I don't think you want to try and commit long term to anybody because you'll have Jose Altuve, George Sprinter, Carlos Correa, all will be free agents around the same time and you're not going to be able to keep all of them. You'll be lucky if you keep one of them at that point. So I agree with Houston. If they're not going to try and go out and sign a player for a long term contract, that's understandable. That's fine. But that doesn't mean you should be not looking to do anything as well because you're still one of the best teams in the league. You are r- just a year removed from winning the World Series. Try and go again. Because we see how quickly sometimes it gets away from you in, a, in an instant. And Houston could just be like that, like a Kansas City. It can all happen just in moments. Go out and make the next move. Because you'll, you're going to need it at the end of the You're going to need three starting pitchers. And if you trust Brad Peacock to be your third starting pitcher for the entire season, I like him. But I don't know if he can be that consistent base for you that you're hoping for for the entire year.
2: Right now, you can argue that the Astros' biggest competition is the Yankees and the Red Sox, right? Yep. Those are the two big forces. The Yankees have four solid starters, in my opinion. Tanaka, Severino... You know, Jay Happ, you could throw him, he's reliable, Paxton. You look at the Red Sox, Chris Sale, David Price. You know, Evaldi is a pretty solid starter. Each one of these teams, who are the biggest competition for the Astros, has three to four reliable starters. The Astros right now have two. I like Peacock as well. I think Whitley is going to be a, a a very good pitcher in the future, um, but it wouldn't hurt to have that one more established veteran. No,
1: I completely agree. There, there's just... There's no reason not to go and make an extra signing at the end of the day. All right, we're getting towards the end of our podcast. And with always, it's our due to the week and dunce of the week and beard back. And for starters, we're going back in time. Again, we're going back on January 16th. And in 1972, the Super Bowl, the Dallas Cowboys beating the Miami Dolphins 24 to 3. It's been a while since we talked about that time of team winning the Super Bowl. And in 1988, the St. Louis Cardinals announced their move to Phoenix, and I'm talking about the NFL, where they would become the Arizona Cardinals. So those are the only two we have for Beardback. and our dude of the week. Oh, it seems pretty obvious where we got to go with this. It's going to be James Harden for his huge 57-point game in against the Memphis Grizzlies. They the Rockets did pick up the loss against the Brooklyn Nets tonight, so I know Jose is celebrating. Yeah, I was going to say podcast. that for final
2: thoughts, man.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, you know,
2: Spencer Dinwiddie ice in his veins.
1: <laughs> Harden did have fifty eight in that loss tonight, so he's not getting the dude for that game. He's getting the dude for the fifty seven point one, uh, because, of course, we're recording podcast, and I'm, I'm going to give it to a day previous. Then the day of and time of uh-huh yeah but be, james Harden, be, be a hater nick it's it, fine it, it was gonna be james Harden no matter what all, mm-hmm. everything he's doing of late uh, you can't
2: see you can't see me right now but i'm stirring my i'm stirring to drink i'm stirring the
1: pot yeah yeah you're sipping the tea right yeah <laughs> but with always who is our dunce of the week
2: well you know nick <laughs>
1: Uh, I swear, if you give it to me,
2: (laughs) No, it's not often that I agree with Terrell Owens on a lot of things. um, But I will agree with one thing that Terrell Owens tweeted after the game um, for the Dallas Cowboys after they lost. Jason Garrett is not the answer for a Dallas head coach. And I was really worried that if Dallas would have made a deep run in the playoffs, that Jerry Jones would lose sight that Garrett needs to be fired. Um, But lucky for Cowboys and the Cowboys fans, they got out before the championship game, because I think if the Cowboys would have made it to the NFC championship game, this guy would still have his job. But if you're the Cowboys, and I'm a Giants fan, so I shouldn't care about this. But if you're the Cowboys, you should fire Jason Garrett and hire a new head coach. It is time for a culture change. It is time for a new voice. It is time for if the Cowboys really want to win a playoff game, you hire a playoff proven head coach. May I say hire Mike McCarthy? Maybe. But you should look in a different direction now that their playoff run has come to an end.
1: I don't know if I I agreed with the lucky part. You're lucky you get eliminated, so Jason Garrett has a chance of being fired.
2: Yeah, tell me not. Tell me not, Nick. If the Cowboys make the NFC Championship game, or if the Cowboys make it to the Super Bowl, does that not save Jason Garrett's job? How can you fire a coach when he made a Super Bowl run?
1: Joe Girardi got fired, and he made it to 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 D-7 of the ALCS. So I mean, that was a mistake, honestly. It's a mistake. Possible. Uh, but, no, I, I don't know if it's lucky because I think all Cowboy fans would rather be having the Cowboys play in the NFC Championship and still have Jason Garrett over being out of the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, no, I I agree with you. This is a great time to get rid of Jason Garrett.
2: No, uh, I mean, it's, it's the same thing because let's flashback, and I can't believe I'm bringing this up. You're making me bring this up. I am. Remember when Jerry Manuel coached New York Mets oh. or managed the New York Mets? Wow. If Jerry Manuel would have made the playoffs with the Mets, it would have been another argument for them to keep Jerry Manuel. The best thing to happen was for the Mets to miss the playoffs with Jerry Manuel, that way the Mets could eventually fire him. Because when you say, Hey, look, I made it this far, it gives you leverage. Jerry Jones likes evidence. So if the Cowboys would have made it further, Jerry Jones would have been like, No, see he's a great coach. We made it all the way to the NFC championship. So good thing that in in hindsight, it's the good thing that the Cowboys missed out.
1: Okay, fair enough.
2: You get what I'm saying.
1: I get what you're saying. Uh, and now we're getting towards the end of episode 37, so we're going with our final thoughts. Uh, so, final thoughts for me. Phillies, you had a quote that you were going to spend stupid money. <laughs> the bar has been set pretty low. To <laughs> get. The players you wanted, either Harper or Machado. Well, they're both still available, and it's both within a hundred and seventy-five million dollars. You can easily get both, but you better get one at this point. If that's the price tag on either one of them, I'm expecting stupid money to be dealt out real soon, and having Machado be signed as a Philly.
2: My final thoughts. Uh, it was reported today that Wilmer Flores is signing with the Arizona Diamondbacks for a one-year contract. Um, I personally, as a Met fan, would love to thank Wilmer Flores for everything he's done. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you're kind of sad to see him leave, but you know the Mets got better without him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, it's one of those things where Wilmer Flores wasn't as good as a player as advertised, um, but it's going to be sad to see him go. And I wish Wilmer, I truly wish Wilmer the best of luck um, in Arizona for 2019.
1: Oh, there you have it. Uh, thank you so much for listening to and Beard Podcast Episode Thirty Seven. Once again, I am Nit and
2: I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And
1: enjoy the AFC and NFC Conference Championship game. Of course, we'll be talking about the two teams going to the Super Bowl uh, next week. I can't wait for that one. Uh, we both have it being Tom Brady versus Drew Brees, and it's almost like one of those matchups that I mean, it should have happened so many years ago, and it's a possibility. Just a game away for both teams from that to happen. So I'm rooting for that. I I certainly am giving it to Tom I'm I'm rooting for Tom Brady. If there's a number one team I'm rooting for, I'm going Patriot style. I always take history over anything else. Um, So for me, I'm rooting that way. But to everybody, enjoy the games. And thank you so much for listening to Sarasota Beard Podcast, episode 37.
0: El nuevo crispy chicken sandwich de McDonald's is es pollo en la McDonald's un mordisco y wow. es el nuevo crispy chicken sandwich ordena por anticipado en el lab de McDonald's Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. en McDonald's participantes